The scripture this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I, I can call you Father because the cross was enough. We can declare we are your children because the cross was enough. Lord, I pray today there would be no other name that we praise higher than yours. I pray that you will be at work in our hearts. May we be receptive to you. May we be a people, a church, who live out, who practice the righteousness that is now ours because the cross was enough. May your word show us truth. May it expose our rebellion, correct our mistakes, above all, train us to live your way, God, so that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I offer this prayer to you, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who continually intercedes on our behalf. In his name we pray, amen. Well, <clears throat> I'll just put this out there. Exercise and I don't get along. I don't like it. I hate running. I, um, my wife has run multiple marathons and you know, has the sticker 26.2. The sticker that I would like on my car would be 0.0, .0 I don't run, <laughs> right? I know I need to, I need to exercise. I mean, I'm getting close to 40 and I, you know, put on a little bit more because of Christmas and I, I need to exercise. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. What I, what I need is good exercise equipment. That's what I need. I need the good stuff, right? Like the old school stuff. That's really what did it. And, and athletic wear nowadays doesn't compete. This is how you dress to exercise. <laughs> dress in style when you exercise, right? <clears throat> that would definitely, you would just, I mean, that's probably wool. You would just sweat it off above anything else, right? Amanda, this is what we're putting in our spare room, this kind of equipment here. Now, <clears throat> that's not a too subtle transition to point to what we're talking about today. We're looking at just two verses this morning, even though more were read. We're looking at uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul has just finished reminding the Philippians the example that we see in Jesus. 
Kevin preached on this. Seven steps down. Verses 6 through 11. Jesus going from glory to shame to glory. And, and he says he did that for us. For our salvation. For our sake. And so Paul now says, now, because of that, work out your salvation with a posture of fear and trembling. Now, if we just stopped there, just stopped at 12, it could be easy to misinterpret that to say, work for your salvation. That the fear and trembling is because we don't know if he's going to accept us, but that's not Paul's point at all. Using Scripture to interpret Scripture and even looking at the next verse, that the fear and trembling he talks about has nothing to do with whether God will accept us or not. Really, it has everything to do with he already has. And now he's in you, working through you. We'll get to that in a moment. So today we're going to look at two points. The working out as he is working in. What does Paul mean by these things? What does God call us to in our pursuit of him? Again, as I said, Paul in verse 12 is is summing up what's come before. He's also transitioning to what he's about to say, pointing back and forward. And so he writes, therefore, because of this, because of the path that Jesus has walked for us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul uses a Greek word here for work out that carries with it the implication that you already have salvation. Now it needs to produce itself in you. Paul's word here is, is now that it has been applied to you, let it outflow. Let it be an outflow. Fruit of the Spirit. Let the salvation be realized in practice. See, now the gospel isn't behaviorism, but it does affect our behavior. Paul's pointing back to what he said in chapter 1, verse 27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, behave in a way that brings glory to God. To put it another way, because God has already entered your life through Holy Spirit, because he's already brought salvation, because he's already at work in you, you can now, and you are called to express this salvation in your conduct. See, Paul wants the Philippians to work out, to exercise what being saved means in practice, in life lived together. And this working out is in two spheres— Paul is writing a public letter. This is a letter that would have been read before the church at Philippians. So he's talking to the community. The first sphere is the community. Let your conduct in community with each other reflect Christ. But the community is also made up of individuals. And so the call is your personal conduct as well. And we'll see actually later that uh, Paul calls out specifically two people for their conduct. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to name names, Kevin. <laughs> but but so, so Paul is talking to the community, but it also makes up our own. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I want to hone in on this. What could this look like for us? How do we already do this? And I think there are two aspects that Paul gets at. Our heart and our body. Our mind and our body. Our will and our actions, as referenced in verse 13. What I mean by this is, 
So Paul's already prayed for this, for the church. In chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he's already prayed, may your love abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight. Even there, it's, it's that whole thing. It's, it's the growth in your knowledge. W- wisdom is applied knowledge, practical, lived out, which then stirs the heart and grows more and more in love. So I think one aspect our salvation has worked out is studying this book. Spending time in God's word to know who God is. That's what theology is, the study of God. We grow in understanding what it means to work out our salvation by spending time growing in understanding who God is. How has he revealed himself to us? But that's not just for you to be smarter. It's not just for you to know the answers. It's to affect your life. The old word is piety. Theology lived out, practiced. In fact, I think a biblically grounded theology, studying the word, changes our perspective, changes our frames of reference to then begin to look at trials, to begin to look at hardship, to begin to look at difficulties and circumstances Not as inconveniences, but as training grounds, as exercise equipment. Circumstances to train us to live God's way. This isn't to say you stay in abusive situations. Nuance and counsel and wisdom are needed there. However, circumstances can always be teachable moments, formative moments, training ground. So our salvation is worked out in study to form our loves, to form our hearts, our minds, but we're more than that. We are embodied creatures. In fact, when God made humanity, he took dirt and breath and combined it and said, you are nephesh, living soul, together. So you say, uh, I'm not going to go forward in the passage because Kevin or Doug, I'm not sure who's preaching next week. It's not me. At least I don't think it is. Um, I'm going to go back. So say you study chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, what Kevin preached on last week. It's great to know about it, but how do we practice it? How do we live it out? Do nothing out of selfish ambition, rather take an interest in others. So let's ponder this. How do we exercise that level of selflessness? Perhaps it's letting that parent with kids in the grocery store go before you. We've seen those moments. You don't take young kids to grocery stores unless you really, really have to. (laughs) Perhaps it's patiently driving behind that driver who maybe didn't see the speed limit sign. Maybe they did. Perhaps, Perhaps it's not sitting at the ends of rows, instead showing an interest in others by scooting in so that they don't have to climb over you to find a seat well, they should take an interest in me by not being late. <laughs> yes, I'm meddling. But I don't think I'm very far from Scripture because, again, Paul later calls people out by name. The gospel, to take an interest in others, is meant to change us, to change our behavior. 
I'll use one other example of how this could, could, could work out, how living in community with each other could, could play itself out. What, what's your Sunday habit? To show up one hour and take off? Could that possibly be a consumeristic approach to the church? Perhaps one way to take an interest in others is to see the call to serve. To take an interest in the people around you, the other families. I'll use the children's ministry as an example. Every week, Chris and Hope have to scramble to find consistent people to serve in the classrooms. To the point of maybe needing to close classes. We average over 650 people here between the two services. We, you realize we have enough people. This should never be a problem. Even factoring in the, the people that, to put it kindly, aren't equipped to work with children or students. I want you to take an interest in my boys. They, they need a web, a community of broken but redeemed men and women around them. See, thinking about such things, getting into the nitty-gritty, meddling a little bit, pondering such circumstances and situations allow us and give us the opportunity to work out, to exercise, to practice the salvation that we've received in Christ. In fact, every Sunday is a sort of workout for us, a training ground for us, a moment of formation for us. Not only the preaching moments, yes, in those moments we learn and, and, and we grow in that way, but if you thought of every other element within the service is a moment of formation. For example, the act of giving our tithes and our offerings, used to further the kingdom, used to further Christ's name within the community, but it's also an exercise of generosity. It's a practice of not holding too tightly. It's a practice of saying, God, you've blessed me, and I'm going to be generous as you call me to. The act of letting go, training our hearts to not consider money to be something to be used to my own advantage, but for yours, if I were to take some liberty in verse 6 of that chapter. Another example, when we greet each other, we don't do this often, but you know those times where we say, okay, everybody greet the people around you, pass the peace. Oh, that awkward moment in the service. I've got to meet the people around me. That uncomfortable moment where I've got to get, I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone as, as, as one introvert to another. It's uncomfortable, yes. It pushes me out of my comfort zone. But if I view it as a training ground, an opportunity to work out my salvation, what Jesus has done for me, then just think of the verse, in your relationship with one another, have the same mind of Jesus who didn't remain in the comfort zone of God's presence but gave it up to take an interest in you and me. That, that moment is a practice for me to live out, to work out my salvation in Jesus. It changes our perspective of what we do in this place to then go out into the world. I stumbled upon a great example of this. There's a, a movie on Netflix with two phenomenal actors in it. It's not the Irishman. It's the two popes. 
I don't know if you've seen this, this movie on Netflix or not, but it's got Anthony Hopkins in it and Jonathan Price, two phenomenal actors. And you're not allowed to film in St. Peter's, so they rebuilt it. So the set's beautiful. Um, and it's, it, it, it's inspired by true events, so not everything in it is, is, is true, but there's this moment that is. Francis is, is telling about his history in Argentina. And in the 70s, in Buenos Aires, there was a time where the government was overthrown by a military dictatorship. So Francis is recounting this moment in his past. And during this time, Francis was the head of the Jesuit priests in Argentina. And during this, during this coup, everybody was a suspect. Everybody was being listened to and watched. During this time, over 30,000 people were kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. Anybody who disagreed with the dictator would have disappeared. So there was this Jesuit mission that was caring for the poor in Buenos Aires. And, and Francis, in an, in an attempt to, to do his job as the head of the Jesuit priest, to protect the priests, encouraged them to close down the mission and, and, and flee. Well, two of the priests, Jalux and Urio, disobeyed Francis. They, they refused. They said, no, we're not leaving this mission. So, so Francis, later regretting, removes the right for them to say mass from them, removes the church's protection on them, leaving the mission vulnerable and the priests vulnerable. Sure enough, they were kidnapped, tortured for months. Urio dies in custody. And, and Francis is broken as he relates this story to Anthony Hopkins, to, to Benedict. And Anthony Hopkins asks him, did they ever have a moment where he could reconcile? You know, I was um, thinking about your teachers, Yorio and Alex. Do you ever reconcile with them? With the Alex, yes. We said the mass together. Oye, fíjate si las velas están encendidas, por favor. Ya están encendidas, padre. Félix. Me alcanzaría la historia, por favor. Estamos en horario. En nombre del Padre, y el Hijo, y el Espíritu Santo. Amén. Lávame, Señor, de todas mis faltas para que pueda liberar dignamente estos sagrados misterios. Podemos darnos ahora, entre todos, fraternalmente, un abrazo de paz. in each other's arms.
He forgave me. Because of sin, that's not natural to us. We need moments of formation. We need moments to push us outside of our comfort zone. To work out what Jesus did for us. He forgave us. But it's not the hug in and of itself that's the turning point. It's verse 13. It's because he is at work in you and me. That's what allows this to happen. That's the turning point. And Paul, our English translation, sadly used the, the same word work, work. It's a completely different word. The the word Paul is using is a fueling word, an empowering word from an internal through everything outward. See, God is at work not only changing our hearts. He's changing our actions, our lives. Our hearts and our longings and our desires are being re-aimed as well as our actions. To, to what? To his good pleasure. To be like Christ. He's re-aiming them. This is, this is one of those crazy yet beautiful paradoxes we see in Scripture. It's, it's not only all of God's work from start to finish... It's all his doing, and and yet, you and I have a call to conform to that work, to work out our salvation. We need the Spirit to rescue us from our self-centeredness, and God is the only one who can change both of our desires and our behavior, conforming both motive and action to the Christ-shaped template. He does that in and through. Because God is so deeply at work in you and me who profess faith in Jesus Christ, Paul uses those words, those weighty words, fear and trembling. Now they can carry multiple meanings depending on the surrounding context, right? We sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. It's the same word, but depending on surrounding context, it implies something different. And Paul's use here is, Amazement, wonder, astonishment, reverence. Paul's calling us to a sober realization that God, the creator, the one who spoke everything into existence, who gave his life for you and for me, this very God is at work in me and in you. And not in part. He dwells fully in me and fully in you. Do we have a reverential awe for this? God is a lion who, yes, loves us deeply, but as a lion, he's not to be domesticated. We have and are called to a reverential awe and an amazement and an astonishment that he would 
dwell in me and in you. And all of this is framed, this call to work out as God works in, all of this is framed in the absence of Paul. This is where I'm going to end. The very beginning of the passage, he says, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Paul is not around, and, and he's calling them even more to obey. I think this framing is fitting for our day and age. We don't see Jesus. We know he rose again. We, we know the cross was enough. We know he lived on this earth. But we don't see him. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Paul is calling the Philippians, calling us now to strive for obedience, even now when we don't see Jesus, while we are in the valley. While we are still in the valley, even more, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because Paul's thinking back to Jesus' prayer in John 17. That's how the world will know who Jesus is. I think that's encouraging for us. Screwtape in the Screwtape Letters by Lewis. I'm not going to give the background story. We reference this book plenty of times. If you've not read it now, buy it, read it. <clears throat> he writes this. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause, that is the cause to destroy humanity, to get back at God, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, that is the Heavenly Father's will, when he looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. People of God, even more now, in our day and age, may we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because the Creator is at work in you. Let's pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. And in that, you guide us, you lead us, you teach us, you train us. May we begin to see differently the circumstances around us as training grounds, as moments of formation. I pray that wherever we are, we, we may see your goodness and your mercy and your love in our lives. And as we look to you, may we in turn reflect such things to the world around us, to the people sitting next to us. May we, be, may we be amazed that the God of the universe dwells in us. Father, now as we give you our tithes and our offerings, I pray that you would use them for your glory. It's not about Stonebridge. It's about you, Jesus. And Lord, may it be an act of worship for our hearts, an act of letting go, an act of generosity, an act of saying, you know what, Lord? I need to trust you. Finally, Lord, as we close in song, may this also be a moment to form our hearts, putting words on our tongues, to sing of a God who would walk alongside us and dwell in us. In your name we pray, amen.